Hi, my name is Jonathan Pezza, and this is episode 12 of Pulp the Podcast, where we are continuing our journey, one page at a time, through the literary underground of pulp fiction. Today we are continuing Isabel Ostrander's Two Gun Sue. We're starting to get deep into our tale with the gang at the Circle Six Ranch, so I'll keep today's intro short and let you guys jump back into the story. As a bit of an announcement, after this episode, we're going to shift to every three weeks with our continuing novels instead of every other episode to give the show a little bit more variety every month. This episode introduces a new character, and I'll apologize ahead of time for my completely horrible Mexican accent. I tried. Um, but hopefully it will get better with time, so uh, we'll see. Chapter 8 and 9 of the novel were originally presented in the February 11th, 1922 Argosy All Story Weekly. So... Sit back, turn out the lights, and let me tell you a story. Chapter 8. A Little White Lie On Monday afternoon, Susanna alighted from the train at Dexter and engaged the town's one jitney to drive her out to the ranch. She was pale beneath the clear tan and deep shadows lay under her gray-blue eyes but the small chin was lifted as dominantly as ever, and there was no trace of fatigue in her voice as she addressed the freckled, toe-headed youth at the wheel. Any news, Fred? I ain't heard none, Miss Sue, exceptin' Doc Rankin load to me this morning that Lee's getting on fine. It's all he can do to keep him in bed. The boy hesitated. Big Matt's out with some of the boys following a new trail of Jake Brower's bunch. That's splendid about Lee. Susanna had noted the hesitation, and with characteristic directness, she asked, But what else have you heard from the Circle Six? Nothing. Calculate you'll hear something, though, when you you get to the ranch. Why? Susanna leaned forward in sudden anxiety. What has happened? Well, we'll be there in a little while, and I ain't aiming to scare you none, Miss Sue. But Clint Beckett rid in at sunup like a posse was after him. And when he couldn't find Big Matty, he corralled Sim Moser and took him back with him. They didn't let on what the trouble was, and Sim ain't showed up since. But Doc Rankin called later? Didn't he say anything on his return? Susanna asked. No, just that Lee was doing fine. But he looked plumb important, and he locked himself in his shack. And ain't the red eye, either. For he lowed yesterday that he was all out and aiming to take another trip to the border soon as Lee could, you know, get along a day or so. Sue sat back without comment and became lost in anxious thought. What fresh misfortune could have come to the Circle Six? If Lee were indeed convalescing satisfactorily, why should the old bootlegging doctor look plumb important over happenings at the ranch? She roused herself from futile speculation only when they passed between the gates. Don't stop at the house, Fred. Drive right over to the corral. There's Wes and I want to speak with him before I go in. The foreman came to meet them as they drew up with a final clatter of the rickety engine. Glad you're home, Miss Sue. He shook hands, looking the question he would not voice. Howdy, Fred. We didn't know Miss Sue was coming back or I'd have had the buckboard to the depot. There was reproach in his tone and Susanna laughed as she paid the youth his fare, but now there was a little tired break in her voice. I didn't know myself until just before train time, she remarked. Goodbye, Fred. The jitney rattled off towards the gate once more and Wes demanded eagerly, What did you do, Miss Sue? Will they give us to the fall roundup? Susanna shook her head. Only 30 days extension on the notes, Wes. Uncle Dave Hartwell was right. It's the showdown. 
I fought hard, but it wasn't any use. For a moment, the foreman gazed out silently over the vast stretch of coppery green mesquite, toward a cluster of sorrel dots moving slowly in the distance. It was part of the herd of sleek cattle which he had counted upon to save the Circle Six, and he had guarded and cared for them through norther and drought, famine, pestilence, and predatory raids by man and beast. Was all to go for nothing? He ran his hand through his grizzled hair, and the Adam's apple traveled up chokingly into his throat. But when he spoke, it was with a note of buoyant confidence. Well, thirty days is something, after all. Recollect what you said about a lot happening in that time. Something's happened already. The Circle Six is worth twenty-five thousand more than it was before you went away. Twenty-five thousand? Susanna repeated. Wes, have you gone crazy? Not no more than the hombre who offered that price for it, and he's as sneaky smart as a coyote. Lee'll tell you all about it, though. Wes hitched up his trousers. I reckon thirty-five days is enough time for us to find out why anybody wants the ranch so bad they'll pay such a sight for it. Lee's all right. The mention of her brother had recalled to Susanna her conversation with the jitney driver. Fred said the doctor acted strangely when he got back to Dexter this morning, and that Clint rode in at dawn to try and find the sheriff. Has there been more trouble? It ain't about Lee except to keep him quiet, but the spring's poisoned. I didn't want him to know, but that old lame hound of his got it first. Clint found him laying out there, all swole up. Not poor old Rastus, Susanna cried. Lee will be heartbroken, but the cows, none of them got it afore we could put a guard on, and Doc Rankin took a bottle of the water to see what's been put in it. Wes chewed reflectively. One of that damp that ornery outfit of Jake's must have slunk up in the night and emptied the poison in. For the spring was all right yesterday at sundown. I run all the cows up to the next section so's they can get at the creek above where the spring joins it, and they're safe enough. Old Rastus was crippled and half blind, anyways. Oh, I reckon it was a sure quick finish. Oh, I wish Big Matt would get that wretch Jake Brower in his outfit or else drive them out of the county. Susanna exclaimed, adding, That is the only thing that Lee has ever kept from me in his life, Wes, I think. The cause of the quarrel between him and Jake. It must have been very bitter to cause such bad blood. Do you know what it was? The foreman looked uncomfortable. I ain't never asked him, he temporized. Lee's hot-headed, but you can bet whatever it was, he had the right of it. Sim Moser came back with Clint from Dexter this morning, but he couldn't follow the tracks from the spring through the mesquite, and he rid off after Big Matt. Well, with a sigh, Sue turned towards the house. I'll go tell Lee that everything is all right about the business in Mammon City. He mustn't be worried with the truth until he's on his feet again. She found her brother improved, but with every nerve of his healthy young body crying out for the activity, which his shattered kneecap denied him. He recounted to her the details of Atchison's extraordinary offer and Wes's suggestion that the elderly financier might have suspected the presence of valuable mineral deposits beneath the rolling mesquite. I don't think Wes is on the right track, Sue, for Atchison's no fool. And he is something of a geologist, Lee continued. He studied it in his youth, according to Garrison Chandler, so we can be fairly certain it isn't a mine he's thinking of. He gave us his address in New York and 30 days in which for us to make up our minds. 30 days? 
Susanna echoed, struck by the coincidence. That was the time given to them in which to meet the notes, to achieve the impossible. Mr. Chandler knows the Atchisons? He's been here? Yes. I asked him to supper Saturday night, and he took Sylvia to the party at the Triangle Four. Lee replied to the last question first. He's gone now, left for the East this morning. I guess he is a top-notcher in spite of his unassuming ways. Family and money and all that sort of thing, I mean. He lives at a bachelor apartment house on Upper Fifth Avenue called the Blandford, and asked me to look him up when I came to New York. But I told him I hadn't any idea of doing any traveling right soon. He knows the Atchison's in a social way, but he hasn't much use for the old man. Says he's a pretty sharp customer. I'd give something to know why he really wants the ranch. Where's Sylvia? Susanna asked suddenly. Out for a ride. I warned her not to go further than Dexter cousin Jake and his outfit, but I don't believe it had much weight with her. She was in a queer mood all day yesterday. Quiet, but sort of brooding. I suppose it's because I refused Atchison's offer for the ranch. Lee moved restlessly. She's a good kid, but I swear I don't understand her, Sue. I wish she was more like us. In her heart, Susanna echoed that wish when later they were seated together at supper, and she had an opportunity to study the younger girl. Sylvia's delicate, wild rose color had given place to a small, brilliant spot of red, which glowed in either cheek. Her eyes, although sunken, smoldered as if with an inward fever, and there were drawn lines in the small set mouth. Surely something deeper than her mere disappointment at the refusal of Atchison's proposition must have occurred to change her so. Could it be the result of her brief association with that other girl, from the world of which she longed to become a part? Sylvia had been unfeignedly glad to see her sister, but there was a guarded reserve in her manner wholly new to her and she betrayed only a listless interest in the conversation which Susanna attempted to keep going. As soon as the meal was finished, she pleaded a headache and slipped away to her own room, while Susanna wandered out to the porch and seated herself on the steps. Sylvia's strange mood faded from her mind before the bigger problems which faced her, and the question repeated itself tirelessly in her brain. What did Atchison want with the ranch? Nothing but cattle raising had ever been thought of in the vicinity, and, and the few prospectors who had ventured there either had been laughed to scorn or had departed in disgust at the futility of their efforts. What information or knowledge did Atchison possess of which they themselves were in ignorance, and which enhanced the value of the Circle Six so greatly in its estimation? Recalling his long, shrewd, fox-like face, with the predatory jaw and keen, close-set eyes, Susanna was under no delusion as to the offer having been made on the strength of the mere whim he alleged. Could they discover his motive in the thirty days which remained to them? As repugnant as the thought was to her, she forced herself to face the fact that, in the event of the notes being called in by the Mammon City Banks, common sense would compel them to accept the Eastern Magnet's offer. She and Lee must consider Sylvia's future as well as their own and they could not hope to attain any such value at a local sale. The thought of losing the Circle Six tore at her heartstrings with an almost physical pain, and a defiant if despairing courage rose within her. Surely a way would be shown to her in which the ranch might be saved. Twilight deepened into a starlit darkness, and the moonbeams played softly upon her like a shielded light in the hands of a tenderly watchful guardian. 
when all at once a subdued choking sound came to her ears, and Susanna straightened, listening intently. It came again, a muffled dry sob. Rising, she passed swiftly indoors and made her way to Sylvia's room, where she knocked softly. The sobbing ceased abruptly, but no response came from within. Turning the knob, she entered. The room was in darkness save for a single ray of moonlight that streamed in at the window, revealing a slender figure prone across the bed, with the golden head buried in the pillows. Sylvia, dear, what is it? Susanna closed the door behind her and advanced to the bedside. N nothing Please go away. The words were petulant, but the half-stilted tones held a tragic note. I must know what's troubling you, Sylvia. Susanna leaned forward and tried to raise her sister in her arms, but the slim form stiffened. No, don't touch me. Sylvia dug her head still deeper into the pillows. Oh, can't you see? I want to be alone. But perhaps I can help. Susanna urged, now seriously alarmed. You have always come to me with everything. You know, dear, nobody can help. Oh, I wish I were dead. There was no hint of tears in the racking sobs, but Sylvia's form relaxed a trifle under her sister's touch, and Susanna pursued her advantage. It isn't because Lee was unwilling to sell our home, is it, dear? You see, we're just not sure what Mr. Atchison's offer may mean. We don't take him entirely in good faith, and that young Easterner whom you know, Mr. Chandler... What? Sylvia! For Sylvia had uttered a low cry and thrust her sister from her with unexpected strength. Don't speak of him. Don't you dare ever mention that beast to me again. She sat up suddenly, brushing the disheveled hair from her eyes with a violent gesture, and Susanna startled back at the expression on the distorted face. Chandler? He had ridden with Sylvia almost daily, had taken her to the dance on Saturday night, and Lee said that the little sister had been brooding ever since. In all her outbursts of anger, Sylvia had never called anyone a beast before nor had that look ever been on her face. And Chandler had gone away. What had been said on their last ride together? Seizing the younger girl by her shoulders, Susanna turned her until the moonlight streamed full upon her face. Sylvia, look at me. Why do you speak of Mr. Chandler in that way? How has he offended you? I want to know the truth. Offended me? Sylvia's tone trembled with pent-up rage and mortification. You haven't the right to ask me. No one has the right. Isn't it enough that I've got to think of it to remember all the rest of my life? Oh, if I could only die. I never... I didn't know. Didn't know? There was an ominous quiet in the older girl's voice, the portent of which was lost upon Sylvia in her hysterical wrath and shame. Didn't know what? You've gone too far now not to tell me everything, and I have the right to know. We are of one blood. That is all more the reason to think that I'm a poindexter. But the only boys I've ever known were the ones around here. So how could I tell? I believed. I thought he meant. Oh, why didn't I die before he ever came? I hate him. I hate him. If I were a man, I would kill him if I had to follow him to the ends of the earth. She wrenched herself free from her sister's grasp burying her face in the pillow once more. And this time the tears came in an overwhelming flood at the memory of that moment of bitter humiliation, the first she had ever known, when Gary Chandler refused her lips. The fact that mingling with the anger and hot resentment that had smoldered within her for two days 
There was a searing fire of self-scorn, only fanned the flames of her loathing against the man who had humbled her, and she spoke impulsively, without thinking what construction might be placed upon her vindictive, frenzied words. They were a mere exaggeration anyway. A little white lie, which soothed her wounded pride and self-esteem. Susanna stood as though turned to stone, gazing down upon the trembling, weeping form and within her a mighty purpose formed. A poindexter had been wronged, and a poindexter alone should extract what tardy reparation were possible for such harm. Lee was the man of the family, but he lay grievously injured, with many weeks of convalescence before him. And Sylvia was still in years a mere child. Sylvia alone remained to see that the honor of their name should be upheld and maintained. And at the realization, she straightened beneath the crushing blow as though the accolade had fallen upon her shoulders. Gary Chandler should make the only amends which lay in his power. He should return to kneel in supplication at the feet of the child whom he had thought to amuse himself with for merely an hour. All thought of the enemy lurking in ambush to plunger and kill was swept from Susanna's mind, as completely as was the problem of the fateful thirty days before them. Though this cur indeed went to the ends of the earth, she would follow. He might be rich, influential, clever. She would match her wits against his, her wits, and if necessary, the sureness of her aim. Whatever the difficulty, whatever the cost, Susanna would get her man. Chapter 9 Consequences the sun was high when Sylvia awoke the next morning, and she lay for a while drowsily going over in her mind the conversation of a few hours before with her sister. It had been stupid of her to break down like that and bring Sue to her door. More stupid still to admit that she had been crying about any man. Gary Chandler had been insufferable, but he was gone for good. And if she were to rid herself of that scathing sense of humiliation and shame, she must stop remembering that such an odious creature existed. She started to rise, but paused with one pink foot extended as the little disquieting thought came to her. Sue was so serious. Had she inferred more from the outburst against Gary Chandler than Sylvia herself had intended? Of course he hadn't actually insulted her, even though he had taken upon it himself to make her feel bold and cheap. Her cheeks burned again at the very thought of that hideous moment, and although she hated him nonetheless for his attitude, she was forced to acknowledge in her innermost heart that she had brought it upon herself. But what if he should not have gone for good after all? If he should return and Sue encountered him, there might be embarrassing consequences. After holding up the Atchisons in that high-handed fashion, there was nothing she might not be capable of saying or doing. But it was a far cry from New York to the Circle Six. And for the first time, Sylvia thought with thankfulness of the vast distance between. Sheer accident had brought Gary Chandler to Dexter in the first place, and nothing should be more unlikely than that he should ever return. The broad sunlight streaming in at the window upon appointments familiar since her childhood, the echo of Tad Mason's exuberant whoopee from the corral, the rattle of Woon sees pots and pans in the cookhouse. All the customary trivial sights and sounds of the early morning made the scene of the previous evening seem like a silly dream. 
and as she dressed, Sylvia laughed at her fears of a few moments before. Garrison Chandler didn't matter anymore, his path would never cross theirs again, and everything was just as it was before he came. Humming blithely, she was turning away from her dresser, when the corner of a folded square of paper protruding from beneath the fat little pincushion caught her eye, and the humming ceased abruptly as she drew it forth with a puzzled frown. Her name was written upon it in Susanna's firm hand, and her own fingers trembled as she unfolded it. Dear Sylvia, she read, I'm going away on important business. Don't worry if you don't hear from me for a week or two. Take care of Lee, and obey the instructions I have left for you with Wes. All my love, Susanna. Gone away? What important business could have come up so suddenly? Why had Sue not mentioned it on the previous night? She must have slipped into the room while Sylvia slept and tucked the note beneath the cushion. But why had she not awakened her and told her instead? A score of questions thronged in Sylvia's mind as she flew with lightning feet down the gallery to her sister's room. The door was ajar and one glance within made the girl catch her breath sharply, for it was empty. The bed had not been disturbed and there were evidence everywhere of a hurried repacking. Impulsively, Sylvia started for Lee's room, but a second thought made her pause and then return slowly to her own, where she plumped down upon the side of the bed with one foot tucked under her and smoothed the little note out on her knee. Where could Sue have gone? Since her return from school in Kansas City, she had been no further from the ranch than the nearby county seat, and then only a few days stay. What business connected with the ranch could keep her away for a week or two? And why had she gone so secretly? The note, too, mere scrap though it was, seemed unlike Sue. She was not demonstrative except on rare occasions, and there was something strained and formal about the All My Love, Susanna. As Sylvia read it and reread it, the injunction which in her first surprise had escaped her notice was borne in upon her and she crumpled the paper in her hands. What instructions had Sue left for her with the foreman? Why would they all still persist in treating her as though she were a child? Wes must know where Sue had gone and, and why. And she determined to seek it out without further delay. But no one was near the corral or outbuilding save Tad and he informed her that the foreman had ridden out to the far section of the ranch and would not return before nightfall. So she retraced her steps to the house and sat down to a solitary breakfast for which she had no appetite. She had forborne to ask Tad about her sister's unexpected departure, and his frank cheery manner had betrayed nothing unusual. But as she drank her coffee, Sylvia forced herself to face a preposterous idea, which had been in the back of her mind since she had first read the note. Could Sue have actually placed a literal construction upon her charge against Gary Chandler and followed him to compel an apology? It seemed ridiculous, beyond the wildest possibility, and yet Sue had inherited their father's fiery southern pride in a more marked degree than Lee and would go to any extreme length to avenge a personal affront. What if she should overtake Gary and learn from him the true version of what had really occurred? Sylvia pushed aside her almost untasted breakfast and went out to pace up and down upon the porch, striving to recall every detail of the previous night's conversation. She remembered that Sue had been very quiet, 
Strangely quiet, it seemed now, after her outburst against Gary. She had soothed her and bathed her face and put her to bed, but had made no direct comment on the situation, and her final night had been said in an almost absent-minded way. Of course she might have been troubled about something else, something connected with the financial management of the ranch and perhaps making up her mind to take this trip. It might be that she had not even comprehended the import of Sylvia's words, and gathered only that there had been some sort of misunderstanding with the Easterner before his departure. Sylvia grasped eagerly at the comfort of this thought, but the doubt remained, and at last she turned and went into her brother's room. Hello, Lee greeted her from the pillows. Don't I get any breakfast around here? I've been ringing and ringing, and I know that old Chinaman ain't half as deaf as he pretends to be. You wait till I get on my feet again. I'll get your breakfast in a minute, Lee. Sylvia straightened the bedclothes and brought him a bowl of fresh water. Do you know that Sue has gone away? She had not meant to ask a direct question, but it passed her lips almost inadvertently and Lee nodded vigorously as he reached for the towel in her hand. Yeah, she woke me at sunup and said she wasn't satisfied with the way things had gone in Mammon City after she had had time to think it over and had decided to go back. She may even have to make a trip to Dallas. Ow! Soap in my eye. His further remarks were muffled in the towel, and Sylvia waited until he emerged before demanding anxiously, You're sure that's why she's gone, Lee? It wasn't just an excuse? What in the world? Lee stared. Where else would she go and why? Well, she never tells me anything, Sylvia temporized in an injured tone, but her spirits lifted once more. If it was only that tiresome legal business about the ranch, I don't see why you let her run everything, Lee. I don't mean to after this, for her own sake, Lee retorted. She's the oldest and took hold right after father's death. Well, I've had my hands full right here, you know, ever since I left college. But it is a shame she should have so much thrust upon her shoulders. She's only 25 now, and lots of girls have nothing in their heads at that age except dancing and flirting. Sylvia blushed scarlet. Is that a hit at me? She paused with the wash basin in her hands and spoke with dignity. I don't flirt, and it is only natural that I like to dance. If you want us both to be old maids on your hands, Sue will never be that. Lee sat up suddenly. When do I get some grub? Her brother's wants attended to. Sylvia interviewed Woon C and set the house to rights, then wandered restlessly out to the corral. But it was deserted even by Tad. Moonlenny whinnied softly and trotted up to her, velvety nose between the rails. But among the other horses, there was no sign of her own pet Bronco, and Sylvia's lips set resentfully. Wes wouldn't have thought of turning Moonlady out without directions from Sue, and he had no right to be so high-handed with her. Had he taken it for granted that she would not ride that day just because that horrid Chandler person had gone? She turned away and started for the house, when a woman rode in at the gate and straight up to her. A magnificent figure of a woman, with boldly handsome features and clear olive skin and dark flashing eyes of the country below the border. The Del Rio woman, sweetheart of Jake Brower's henchman. What could she want here? Sylvia drew herself up slightly, but before she could speak the other murmured in soft, liquid tones. Pardon, senorita. Your sister, she is here? Not now. Did you wish to see her? Sylvia kept her own tone studiously polite, 
nothing was to be gained by ordering the woman off the ranch, and such a course would only make an open enemy of her. It is a message that I have for her, Rosa del Rio hesitated. She will return this night, no? I do not think so. But I can take any message you've brought. No. The woman drew herself up in her high saddle. It is for her alone that I come to speak. You will say to her when she come, please, that Rosa del Rio have a message for her. But there is risk. I will send the little Raphael to find when the senorita shall return. The woman had glanced furtively back at the deserted road, and Sylvia asked quickly, Is it about my brother? I don't know when my sister will return, but it may not be for some days. If it is important, if you have come as a friend... A friend, yes. The woman interrupted eagerly. Then her face darkened and she shook her head. The message I can tell only to the sister, and that if no other knows that I have been here. But the little Raphael, he shall come. Adios, senorita. She nodded gravely, wheeled her pinto, and urged him at a dead run for the gate. And Sylvia stood gazing after her in bewilderment. Should she tell Lee or Wes of this unexpected visitor? The woman had forbidden it, but she had come in broad daylight and taken the chance that the foreman or some of the punchers might be about the corral. Rosa del Rio belonged to the element with which the girls at the Circle Six did not come in contact, and Sylvia had never exchanged a word with her before. What could she have wanted? Had she indeed a message for Sue from someone? Sylvia was still pondering when she heard a familiar step behind her, and she turned to face Wes. Morning, Miss Sylvie. He smiled and the fine wrinkles deepened about his kindly eyes. You been looking for that pinto of urine. He seemed to be favoring his shoulder again and I knew you'd want him rested up. Was that Del Rio girl looking for me? He asked the question blandly, but Sylvia snapped. No. Were you expecting her? I sure wasn't. Wes returned with emphasis. You oughtn't to talk to her. Miss Sylvie, if, I, if I'd come in time, I'd have run her off the ranch. I'll talk to whom I please. Sylvia drew herself up to all her slim height. It's about time people realize that I'm not a child any longer. The foreman gazed at her with an expression of hurt bewilderment, as though she had struck him. Miss Sylvie, it's just because I've watched you grow up since you wasn't knee-high to a coyote that I'm telling you, he protested earnestly. That Del Rio girl ain't fitting to speak to you, and she got no business on the Circle Six. I don't guess you savvy, but she's plumb friendly with that Jake Brower outfit. Or was. And her coming here means trouble. What did she claim to want? I don't know. In sheer contrariness, Sylvia resolved to keep the woman's confidence. I couldn't understand her well enough to find out, and she turned suddenly and rode off. She must have seen you coming. Who is the little Raphael? Kid that lives with her. About six, seven years old. Brother, I guess. Wes eyed her keenly. What did Rosa say about that little, uh, filler? Something about his coming here, but I couldn't make it out. Coming here? Wes repeated. You couldn't have got that straight, Miss Sylvie. The kid can't ride yet, and he sure couldn't hoof it all them miles. If Rosa comes again, and you see her... Just you call me. I'm dead certain that Miss Susanna wouldn't like you to. I don't care whether she would or not, Sylvia interrupted, adding quickly. Wes, what do you know about Sue going away again so soon? She never said a word about it to me last night, but she told Lee this morning that she might have to go to Dallas. Reckon that's correct? 
Wes was gazing out along the road which Rosa Del Rio had taken. Miss Susanna's got a powerful heap to do rounding up the business of the ranch. There was a note of reserve in his voice which the girl's quick ear caught. You knew she was going? She accused. Not till she come out of the bunkhouse all fixed up to go to the train, replied Wes patiently. That was just about light this morning. There's something that's got to be tended to for a particular time, and I calculate that's what took Miss Susanna away. Link drive her to the depot, but reckon she kind of made up her mind overnight. The foreman's matter-of-fact tones had allayed the last lingering doubt in Sylvia's mind as to the motive for her sister's sudden journey, but she bethought herself of the injunction in the note. Sue said she had left some in, some message for me with you. What is it, Wes? She demanded. He looked uncomfortable. You ain't gonna take it kindly, but Miss Sue don't want you to go off in the ranch by yourself while she's away. It's on account of Jake's outfit, he added hurriedly. They tried to get Lee, and there ain't no telling where they'll stop before Big Matt rounds them up. One of the boys can ride into Dexter with you when you want to go. I don't want them, Sylvia cried furiously. It's bad enough to have to live here without being kept prisoner. I shall ride where I please. So that was why you took my pinto out of the corral, was it? If Lee didn't need me, I'd show you all. She turned abruptly and started for the house, leaving West to stare after her open-mouthed. How perfectly horrid of Sue. It was just another excuse to try to exercise authority over her, for she couldn't be in any danger from Jake or his outfit. His quarrel was with Lee alone, she was glad she hadn't given Wes the satisfaction of knowing Rosa Del Rio's message. Glad that she had given him something to think about. Could she have looked ahead and known the ultimate cost of her silence? Sylvia would have flown back on winged feet. But instead, she went into the house and closed the door. This episode was co-produced by Melissa Starr. The music in today's episode was provided by Epidemic Music. We release a new episode almost every week, so make sure to subscribe for free on the platform of your choice, and if you can, leave us a rating or review. We have a brand new website, www.pulpthepodcast.com, where you can learn more about the show and search episodes by genre and author. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Pulp the Podcast or reach out to me directly via email at jonathan at pulpthepodcast.com. If you love science fiction and horror, please check out our sister podcast, The Curious Matter Anthology, which presents full-cast cinematically produced audio drama adaptations from authors like Philip K. Dick, Kurt Vonnegut, and Robert Block. You can find Curious Matter Anthology via the link on our website or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jonathan Pezza, your host, and thank you for listening. <laughs>